Amen. Let's give God a hand clap today. It's so good to see you guys. I uh, hope that you've had a good week. A couple of announcements. Uh, in a chair somewhere near you is this baggie. Uh, we're partnering with Achieving Recovery Together, which is an awesome ministry here in town. That They, uh, they try and help those that are addicted and those on our streets. Uh, this is just a little travel bag. I'd like for you to take one of these if you're sitting near one. Uh, it costs you about $5 to fill it up with just travel-sized toiletries and bring it back to us by September. And we're going to get it to Achieving Recovery Together, and they'll get it in the hands of those that need it. So uh, check that out. Also, don't forget, every Sunday when you come in here, scan the QR code, brings up the online bulletin, all sorts of information, all sorts of things coming up. Tonight, there is a women's study that will begin. Uh, there's information on this uh, bulletin on the other side of the basketball goal that you can check out. Awesome study. It's called Seamless. I've heard incredible things about it, so please check that out. Um, all sorts of things coming up, so make sure you're informed. One of our goals for you and for us as a church is that we're not just a place where people come and they consume, you know, like you get entertained with awesome music and a TED Talk, and then you go home. Uh, we, we want you guys to be connected. We want to be connected as a church family. Uh, we want to know you. We want you to know us. And so in order for that to happen, you got to kind of step out of your comfort zone and get connected. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, today, I'm going to talk to you about betraying Jesus. Betraying Jesus, affections misapplied. That's what we're going to talk about today. Mark chapter 14 uh, beginning in verse four, uh, 43, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. I've been doing ministry a while now, and uh, I've come to find out that, at least in this part of the world, uh, there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians, uh, but they're really not. They claim to love Jesus, but they really don't, and that's evidenced by what they do. Never come to church, never pray, don't know the Bible. They lie, they cheat, they steal, they gossip, they slander, they backstab, they're selfish, and they're greedy. They're really not any different than the godless world that we live in. And I wish that these people would just stop. I wish they would just stop. Do one of two things. Either, either stop claiming to be a Christian or repent, confess, and walk in newness of life. That's what I wish would happen. Because people do damage to the kingdom when their actions don't match their words. Let me say it again. People do damage to the kingdom when their actions don't match their words. Hypocritical Christians betray Christ in the same way that Judas betrayed Christ 2,000 years ago. Let's all stand together in honor of the reading of God's word. While I was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, suddenly arrived with a mob. He was with a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said, he's the one. Arrest him and take him away under guard. So when he came, immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they took hold of him and arrested him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you teaching in the temple, and you didn't arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all deserted him and ran away. Now a certain young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following him. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. Let's all pray. Father, please open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts today that we may see your goodness, that we may hear your truth, that we may praise your name. Speak through me. I'm a sinner. I'm only saved by your grace. I'm no better 
than any person that's in, the, in this room, any person that's watching online, Lord. These people don't need a word from me. They need a word from you. So please, Lord, have your way in this place today. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, I'd encourage you to just take a moment, pray for the people around you. A lot of needs in this room, a lot of hurts, a lot of pain, a lot of confusion and doubt. Just pray for the people in this room. Pray for the people that are watching online. Several people have COVID, getting over COVID. Lift up with me today, Bill Anderson, Sydney Cooper, Gerald, Joanne. Say, say, say a prayer for Dave, too. Not feeling well today. Pray for the lost people in our city that you'll come in contact with this week. And then I'd ask that you'll uh, repeat this prayer after me. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So uh, we've been studying the Gospel of Mark for a year and a half. Uh, I think that will be done by Christmas. I, I measured it out. I think we will. I appreciate you guys hanging out with me. If it's not blessed anybody else, I am learning a lot. I'm growing a lot through this study. Uh, right now, we're studying kind of the last few hours of Christ's natural life. He had earlier this night shared his last supper with some of his best friends, and he had just resisted the temptation to flee. He prayed in the garden, not my will, but your will be done, Father. And he resolved himself to die for the sake of all who would believe. And now we, we get to the, the part in the biography of Jesus that's the beginning of his excruciating end. Mark chapter 14, verse 43 while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. Judas, who presented himself to be one of Jesus' closest friends, arrives with him was a mob with swords and clubs from chief priests and scribes and the elders. And so Judas, who, who claimed and acted as if he was one of Jesus' best friends, one of his closest allies, he didn't appreciate how Jesus was conducting himself. And he decided it would be better if Jesus' ministry was disrupted. Now, there's debate among scholars as to what motivated Judas. There's a little bit, there's a few hints in the New Testament that we could grab from. But uh, people either argue that Judas uh, wanted Jesus dead because Jesus had somehow offended Judas, or that Judas wanted to force Jesus' hand and put him in a position where he had no choice but to fight against Rome because Judas was confident that he would be able to overthrow Rome by his power. Either way, in Judas's heart, he said, Lord, my will be done, not your will be done. Judas said, I, I want my way. Jesus, I'm not concerned about your timeline or your plan or your purpose. I want to do it my way. So Judas partnered with the Jewish ruling class who also had this same mentality. They didn't like what Jesus was doing. They didn't want it to be Jesus's way. They wanted it to be their way. And so they also wanted to disrupt his ministry. And so Judas partners with them and they send a mob with swords and clubs to arrest Jesus and bring him to trial. Now let's just kind of put this in context. Remember the Jesus that we're talking about. Uh, he heals people, he casts out demons, he feeds people. Everywhere he goes, things get better. He's never, he's never done anything 
to resemble a criminal in any way, and yet they, they bring a mob, an angry mob, with pitchforks and, and torches and clubs and swords. Jesus highlights uh, this fact and how strange it is. His enemies have an eagerness to threaten violence to accomplish their godless goals. Look at verse 48. Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? It's kind of bizarre. But it points to a reality that's still true in our world today. I made a, a public comment uh, disparaging radical LGBTQ plus um, agenda, specifically in our town. And within a week, the Lexington pagan leader called me. I don't know how they got my cell phone number, but they called me, started harassing me. And then there was a national uh, organization a social media group, 50,000 followers, and they sicked all their trolls on me. And then there were people here locally that were sending me cryptic threats. When the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe was leaked, do you remember what happened? An angry mob assembled outside of the justice's private home and started threatening them in various ways. There was all sorts of even death threats on these people's lives. I saw this week, the IRS is hiring 87,000 new IRS agents. Did you see this? On the job description, uh, you have to have a willingness and ability to carry a firearm and use deadly force if necessary. If that doesn't scare you, I don't know what will. All that to say this, it's important to note that the way our godless world operates is resort to, a, to excessive force in order to accomplish their agenda, either by intimidation or by punishment. That's how our world operates. Verse 44, his betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said, he is the one. Arrest him and take him away under guard. And so Judas had arranged a signal with his co-conspirators because they wanted to avoid making a scene. Jesus was very popular among the common people, and so they didn't want to start this huge commotion that may begin a riot in Jerusalem. So, so they were trying to be kind of quiet. They were trying to be kind of discreet. That's why they come in the middle of the night, and that's why Judas says, okay, I'm going to give you a signal. The other, the other reason they wanted to give a signal, they wanted to make sure they arrested the right guy. It's pitch black. It's in a garden. There's not much light around. There's, there's 12, maybe more men to choose from. And so Judas, who's very, very familiar with Jesus, walked around with him for the better part of three years. He says, I can pick Jesus out even in the dead of night. And so I'll go up to him and I will greet him with the typical uh, greeting during this time in the ancient world. I will give him a kiss. Verse 45. So when he came, immediately, man, that is a powerful word in the gospel of Mark, especially true here. Just think about it, immediately, no hesitation. No hesitation, he went up to Jesus and he said, Rabbi, which is a term of endearment, it's a term of respect, and he kissed him. Now the Greek here, uh, literally translated, kissed him much. It wasn't just like a little peck, you know, like a shameful, remorseful moment. No, it, it was almost, it paints a picture that Judas enjoyed what he was doing to Jesus. Picture it. Judas approaching Jesus. No hesitation, no reluctance, no remorsefulness, a smug and accomplished look on his face. And he claims 
to be a friend of Jesus, and yet he plots his destruction. He shows affection, but he means harm. He gives his teacher and a friend, and his friend, the kiss of death. Judas, a liar, a thief, and a traitor. It doesn't get much more evil than that. Amen? But just as evil are those in this day who honor Christ with their lips, but plot the most anti-Christian behavior in their hearts. Just as evil today are those who claim to be Christ's followers, but without hesitation, they walk in the ways of this world. Just as evil today are those who call Jesus Lord, and with their same mouth, they curse their brothers, and they speak lies and gossip and slander. Just as evil, when you honor Christ with your lips, but your heart is far from him, you bring shame on Christ, and you bring damnation on yourself gives deeper meaning to Jesus' haunting words. Matthew chapter 7, you've heard this before. Verse 22, Jesus says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? Didn't we come to church? Didn't we put money in the offering plate? Didn't we take communion? Didn't we say the sinner's prayer? Didn't we get dunked in water? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you law breakers. May it never be said of us. Verse 46, they took hold of him and arrested him. Jesus in chains, surrounded by the enemy. It appeared that this signaled the end of this movement that Jesus had started. It appeared that the king was captured, and it appeared that the kingdom of heaven had been conquered. So Peter, in desperation, he did what many of us, in that very same situation, many of us would have done the same thing. He pulled out his 9 millimeter, 357, just all the way. Verse 47, one of those who stood by drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his ear. Now, the first time I read this story, okay, I grew up watching Rambo and Terminator and, I mean, you just name it, that's what I grew up on, okay? WWE, Hulk Hogan, you know, that's what I grew up on. And so the first time I read this passage and I saw that Peter had cut off somebody's ear, I was like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Anybody else have that reaction the first time? Wayne's the only honest person in here. Thank you, Wayne. A lot of us can relate to this, man. A lot of us say, you know, yes. That's the right move. If that's you today, and I I had to burst my own bubble there for a while, look what Jesus said in response to Peter's sword. A different biographer, same story, same event. Matthew chapter 26, verse 52. Then Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Jesus went on to pick up this man, this soldier's ear, and put it back on his head and heal him. This creates a dilemma especially for those of us here who are like Second Amendment people, which probably makes up most of us. It creates a dilemma because you believe that you have a right to self-defense. You believe you have a right to bear the sword. But many will use this passage to suggest that Christians are called to be pacifists. Christians are called to never, never use any violence whatsoever. Gun control proponents, they'll point to this passage, this event, 
in order to shame Christians for your commitment to bearing arms. And so what do we make of all this? Earlier in the same scene, different biographer, same event, Luke chapter 22, verse 36. Then he said to them, same scene. This is right before Jesus gets arrested. But now, whoever has a money bag should take it, and also a traveling bag. And whoever doesn't have a sword should sell his robe and what? Buy one. For I tell you, what is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was counted among the lawless. Yes, what is written about me is coming to its fulfillment. Lord, they said, look, we, look here, are two swords. What was Jesus' response? Did he say, go turn those in. Go melt those swords down. Did he say that? No. Jesus says, that is enough. So Jesus tells his followers that there is a time for the sword, specifically protection against the lawless. Paul says this about the ruling authorities in relation to the sword. Romans chapter 13, verse 4. For it is God's servant for your good, the ruling authorities. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it, the authorities, does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. And so all that to say this, there is a time and a place for the sword. God has ordained it to protect what is good and to punish what is evil. And so why doesn't Jesus let Peter go Rambo mode on these suckers? Matthew 26, verse 53. Peter, Jesus tells Peter, put the sword away. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Verse 53. Or do you think that I cannot call on my Father, and he will provide me here and now with more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Jesus says, I could call down all the armies, all the angel armies of heaven right now, and I could force the entire world to bow down to me. But if I did that, God's plan and purpose for this world would not be accomplished. You see, Jesus didn't come to condemn. Jesus came to save. Therefore, force is not the way to fulfill God's mission and his plan for the world. We cannot advance the kingdom of God by the sword. I think that's why Mark includes this little parenthetical moment in his gospel. You see, Mark writes to a group of Christians who are in Rome, and they are at the beginning of a very difficult season in the chapter of church history. You see, they're overtaxed, and they're unfairly treated, and they've been forced underground, and, and, and soon, in the next few years, many of them are going to start being arrested for their faith. Many of them are going to be start being thrown in the Colosseum with animal skins on their back, and they're going to be eaten alive by wild lions and bears. And so things are getting really difficult. And so they would be tempted to take up arms and go and fight for their freedom. And so to hear this passage, to hear this story that, that Jesus told Peter to put the sword away because he can't advance the kingdom with the sword, it shaped them. You see, the best force can do is control. Guns will make people pay taxes, but it won't make them good citizens. Do you understand that? Guns can force people to do something, but it doesn't make the people good people. 
That's why empires never work. The greatest empires, because they grow too big to be controlled. You can't have an army big enough to control the whole world. Christ didn't come to control. He came to save sinners. He came to change the world. He came to establish a kingdom in which every knee bows and every tongue confesses, not out of obligation, but out of appreciation. Not because they're forced to, but because Jesus Christ is worthy. Do you see the difference? That requires not a sword in the hand and a club on the hip. That requires a cross on his back and a spear in his side. Not a show of force, a demonstration of love. Jesus has conquered this world. He is ruling this world not by controlling lives, but by changing hearts. Compare that approach to ruling to the godless powers that be the way they try and rule this world. Look at verse 48. Jesus said to them, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you teaching in the temple. You didn't arrest me then. This is all unreasonable, isn't it? It's all strange. The powers that be, they'll leverage their force, acting unjustly to hold back the righteous in order to promote their corruption, even when it's completely unreasonable. Jesus like, I'm, I've been doing good works in the temple all week, and now you come at me in the middle of the night with clubs and swords and spears, even though I've never done anything to, to deserve this. I'm not a criminal. I've never acted like a criminal. You know I'm not a threat in that way, and you come, this is completely unreasonable. This behavior, this way of ruling, is becoming increasingly clear and popular in our day, isn't it? Once trusted agencies have been politicized to control people and accomplish godless agendas. I could give you dozens, if not hundreds, of examples over the last two years. Right? Right, 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 right. Okay. That's the way our world works. A man was recently arrested for retweeting an image. He didn't even tweet it. He just retweeted an image. He compared the LGBTQ plus mob with Nazi fascism with an image. And in doing so, the police came to his house and arrested him in the United Kingdom, a place that's supposed to be free. Now we see stuff like that, and it's happening more and more all over the world and all these places that you used to think were democracies, you, think, you used to think that you were free to express your ideas and your opinions. And it's frustrating and it's scary because it appears that it's beyond our control. Listen, friends, if the FBI, if the IRS come knocking at your door and they've got it in for you, I'm sorry about your luck. You understand that. No matter how big your gun safe is, they're going to get you if they want you. And that's frustrating and that's scary. But here's the encouragement today. What does Jesus say? The scriptures must be fulfilled. Despite the corrupt powers, despite the grave injustices, despite the harsh persecution, despite the unreasonable age that we're living in, the plan, the purposes, and the promises of God will be fulfilled. Put the kiss of death on his cheek. 
Put the chains on his wrist. Put the false charges on his name. Put the whip on his back. Put the thorns on his brow. Put the cross on his back. Put the nails in his hands. Put a stone in his way. There is nothing, there is no one who can stop our king. Amen. Put restrictions on our speech. Put taxes on our offerings. Put locks on our doors. Put cuffs on our pastors. Put a ban on our book. There is nothing, there is no one who can stop God's people. Because he rose, we will rise. Because he overcame, we will overcome. There is no thing that can stop our Lord, and there is no weapon that will prosper against us. Christ is king. And his righteous rule is inevitable. Your destiny, our destiny, is not in doubt. His disciples at the time, they didn't know all that. You see, we know it because we got the benefit of the book. We got the benefit of history. We've seen it time and time again. When you try and stop the people of God, the people of God rise up. When you, stop the, when you try and stop the gospel, that's when the gospel takes effect and grows. So we've got history on our, they didn't know all this. And so look what happens, verse 50, then they all deserted him and ran away. Friends, we, we like to read this and say, I wouldn't do it. If you were in their shoes with the limited knowledge that they had, you would have done exactly the same thing. Verse 51, this is one of the strangest verses maybe in all the Bible, definitely in all of Mark. Now, a certain young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following him. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. That's a strange verse. A lot of speculation about this verse. I won't go all the way down that road, but this is what we know from the text. We've got a young man, and he was hastily dressed. He wasn't fully clothed to begin with, and he's following Jesus at a distance. And so this is what I imagine. There's a teenage boy. There's speculation about who it is. In the spur of the moment, he sneaks out of the house. In the middle of the night, he speaks out of the house because he wants to see what his older brothers are up to. They've been running around with Jesus. And so he, he's just kind of watching, following from a distance. He's probably not supposed to be there. And he gets caught in a very scary situation. Clubs and swords and soldiers screaming, yelling, tears, blood, all of it. And, and in the midst of it, he takes off running. And one of the guards, one of the soldiers, grabs hold of his robe, and he, he wiggles out of it. And he runs away, buck naked, all the way, unclothed. So why? This is so strange, Mark. Why in the world did you put this in here? All throughout the Bible, from cover to cover, nakedness is associated with shame. I'll point you one verse, Amos chapter 2. The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Israel. For three crimes, even four, because they sell the righteous person for silver. Does that relate to what we're talking about today? Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, right? Skip down to verse 14. Wait, wait, he goes on, he says, look, I'm about to crush you in your place as a wagon crushes when full of grain. Verse 14, escape will fail the swift. The strong one will not maintain his strength. The warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground. The one who is swift afoot will not save himself. The one riding a horse will not save his life. Even the most courageous of warriors will flee naked on that day. 
Mark is associating this whole event, the betrayal of Jesus, the deserting of Jesus, the running away, with great shame. He's saying it's all shameful. Everything you've just read is shameful. So here's my question to you. If it is a great shame for a teenage boy who didn't fully understand what was going on to run away from grown men with swords, how much greater shame on those of us who know the risen king, who know the power of the resurrection, and yet who betray Christ when things don't go our way, who desert Christ when things get difficult, who flee from Christ when the fighting starts. Friends, we are in the beginning stages of our generation's battle. Every age has a demon, has an antichrist to fight. We are slowly but surely finding what our battle is. It's here, whether you realize it or not. The godless mob is on the march, and they seek to criminalize the righteous, to hold back God's people in order to advance their evil agenda. Their strategy is intimidation and threat of force. Their goal is to get you to sit down and shut up. Christians, we have been running and hiding for too long. We've been programmed to believe that Christians aren't supposed to fight back. But listen to me, it is shameful for Christians to pretend that this isn't happening. It is shameful for Christians to believe this is someone else's fight. It is shameful for Christians to go along to get along for the sake of your kids and your grandkids, for the sake of the future of Winchester, for the sake of the kingdom of God, we must take a stand. We must fight back. But this is not a call to arms. Guns can't accomplish accomplish God's mission. He doesn't want to rule by force. If he did, he would have called all the angel armies to come down and accomplish that. Jesus Christ delivered the death blow to evil through the cross. And our victorious king has given us the sword of the spirit to wage war against the evil powers and principalities. The sword of the spirit is the scripture. It is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It is your testimony. It is the gospel. And so if you're here today and you're sick of the state of our culture, You're sick of all the stuff that you read on the news and you see at the 6 o'clock news and you you see on your Twitter feed and you see on your Facebook feed. You're, You're sick of all that you're hearing in this world. You wish things would be different. Friends, the reason you wish things would be different is because the seed of heaven is planted in each and every one of us and we all long for that place where everything is as it should be and nothing could be better. And God wants you to participate in bringing heaven to earth. If you're concerned about the future and if you're ready to fight, let me ask you something. Yes or no, do you believe that there is evil in the world? Yes or no? Yes or no, do you believe that Jesus Christ has defeated death and darkness on the cross? Yes or no? Do you believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? Do you believe that? Yes or no? Do you believe that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church? Yes or no? If all these things are true, Friends, can I encourage you today? Spend less time polishing your guns. Spend more time preaching the gospel. Let me say it again. Spend less time polishing your guns. Spend more time preaching the gospel because we will overcome evil by the power of the blood and the word of our testimony. 
The gospel being preached is more important than lobbying and voting and advocating and educating. It's not to say those things aren't important. The gospel being preached is more important. The gospel being preached is more powerful than a double-barrel shotgun or any politician that you can put in office. The gospel brings the sinner to his knees. The gospel brings the prodigal back home. The gospel makes the demons flee. The gospel is what will conquer the world for the sake of Christ. Stop being a hypocrite. Because this is what all of you in this room, you say yes and amen to everything that I've preached today. Why aren't you living like it? Boldly call sin a sin. That's part of the gospel, you know. The gospel, the salvation doesn't make any sense if you can save yourself. And so we've got to go into this world and say, listen, I'm sorry. I know this hurts your feelings, but what you're doing is an abomination to God. What you're doing will send you to hell. It is a sin. Got to start there because if they don't realize that they're sinners, then they won't look for a savior. Got to call sin a sin. And you got to lovingly call sinners to repent. you got to tell them, I know you've made a mistake. I know you've been deceived. I know you're living selfishly. I know you've said to God, not your will, God, but my will be done. I know you've rebelled. I know those things. But at the same time, I know where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And so you go to them, you say, I know you've sinned, but there's hope for you because there was hope for me. And then you unapologetically call Jesus Christ the only Lord and Savior. You see, we got to go out in this world and say, listen, I know you don't want the world to be like it is. I know you're hurting and struggling and you're longing for a better life. You're longing for a better world. That's because heaven is calling your name. Eternity is written on your hearts, but you're not going to get there by being good. You're not going to get there by being educated. You're not going to get there through charity. You're not going to get there through voting. You're not going to get through there, there through force. You're not going to accomplish these things that your heart is crying out for unless you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's the only way. We got to preach the gospel. But listen, the gospel only works when we stop playing church and actually start living like Christians. Honoring Christ with your lips but your heart is far from him. Your life doesn't match your words nor God's ways. That type of life does not advance the kingdom. Hypocritical Christians inhibit the kingdom. You see, you can't call out the speck in your brother's eye when you got a log in your own. So don't talk about the corruption in politics when there's corruption in your affairs. You can't do that. You want to clean up the world, you got to start with your own house. Don't say a word about the pride flags on Main Street until you've done something about OnlyFans on your phone screen. It's not enough to say there's a better way. Friends, we've got to show that there's a better way. The way of the world, it leads to corruption and injustice and bondage and death. Only the way of Christ leads to life, liberty, and justice for all. Only the way of Christ. And in order for us to truly change this city, in order for us to really turn things around in this world, we got to call people out of the godless world that looks like hell, but then we have to beckon them in 
to a church family that resembles heaven. You see, that's the part that so many of us, so many churches, we've missed the mark, is that we keep telling the world, hey, there's a better way, but we're not showing them there's a better way in our fellowship. And so it's not enough to go out into the world and say, you're going to hell. We've got to invite them into the precursor of heaven, which is the church. Which means that all of you need to stop living like Judas and you need to start living more like saints. May, may love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control fill this fellowship. And may it begin with me. Not an angry mob, not swords and spears, but a faithful truth, a church full of truth and grace. And may we stop running in shame. May we take a stand against the evil mob by praising God in word and deed, by preaching the gospel with our lips and our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is a light. It is a lamp. It is a God. It is a firm foundation. And Lord, we're, we're grateful for it. This world is confusing, and it's hard to navigate it. And so we're grateful, Lord, that you've given us your truth, your word, your ways, your will, in a way that we can understand. And I pray, Lord, we'll apply it. It's not enough for us to agree, Lord. We've got to apply. So help us, Holy Spirit, to do that, each and every one. Help us, Lord, to see how we've acted like Judas and betrayed you with a kiss. We've loved you with our lips, our praises, our words, but we've not loved you with our life, not to the way you deserve. And so I pray, Lord, you'll convict us in those places where we fall short. Forgive us, Lord, and help us to see how we've acted like Peter and tried to bring about your kingdom in a way that doesn't match your character. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to do better. Lord, I pray you'll start with me. Help us all to see the right way, the right way to advance your goodness and your glory on this world. And Lord, forgive us. Help us to see how we've acted like this little boy that ran away naked. Help us to see, Lord, all the ways that we've not been bold, that we've not been courageous, that we've not taken a stand for you. Help us to understand, unless we, unless we have boldness to preach the gospel, that this world's not gonna change. It's just going to get worse and worse. And so, Lord, help us to bring heaven to earth by being your ambassadors. Fill us with courage today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation, celebration, remembrance. In the back of the worship center are two tables. They have emblems on it. These represent the body and blood of Christ. A great reminder every week that Jesus allowed himself to take on the full force of hell's fury. Take it all. Everything that evil could throw at him, Jesus took it all with his hands tied behind his back. And it wasn't enough to kill him. And with that, as Jesus rose up out of the grave, he declared his victory over death, darkness, the devil, everything that you hate, everything you despise, all of hell, Jesus has power over it. It does not have power over him. And so when you take these emblems, what you're doing, the Bible says that, that Christ is with us. And so that same power that raised Christ from the dead, it is imputed to us. That same righteousness that Jesus, the innocent lamb, died on the cross, that, that same righteousness is given, it's, it's, it's added to us. And so this is a reminder 
physical reminder of this thing that's happening spiritually, I'd encourage you, if you haven't already, to partake. On either side of the stage, we have kneeling pads. This is a place for you to pray. The Bible says if you're carrying a heavy burden, Jesus said, come to me, all who are weak and weary, and I will give you rest. I believe that. I believe it because I've seen it in my life. So if you're here today and you're, you're carrying a heavy load, if you would, just come and kneel at this altar. Let one of our prayer warriors pray for you. And if you're here today and you're not really following Jesus, and in your heart right now, you know it. You haven't surrendered to him. Listen to me, friends. There is no other way by which men will be saved, but by the name of Jesus. So if you're here today and you're separated from him and you know it in your heart, will you please come and talk to me? I want to talk to you about your next steps. As we sing this song, Come.